Well, good morning and welcome here. My name is Luke, and I get to serve as the pastor here. Uh, it's cold outside, and you made it. I, good job, or thank you, or well done, or something like that. That was unpleasant out there. A um, few announcements uh, before we get rolling uh, for the rest of the morning. Uh, Lisa, who serves as the church secretary, is leaving on maternity leave, kind of a late March, early April. So if you know of someone who uh, could fill in for six to eight weeks, please let us know. Uh, there's some stuff uh, in your announcements about uh, the MCC sale. Uh, also, MDS is doing a build, uh, building project in Pilger. Uh, Pilger was hit pretty hard by the tornadoes. I'm hoping to get over there sometime. So if you're interested, give me a call. It'd be great to go over there together. And, uh, and also just wanted to let you know, we, we have a few people traveling, but um, there's uh, um, a suitcase that's en route to Kenton and Kedron Miller. Heidi Schmidt is uh, on her way to Romania uh, with Brett and Laura, and then she's going to swing through Berlin and uh, visit Heidi. And the Wednesday night kids uh, put together, assembled, raised funds for a suitcase full of all kinds of gifts. Um, and the tag says it's from you, so you should know about it. And uh, so anyways, there's um, yeah, just a gift of blessing uh, that's headed their way. Let's do some prayer, and then we'll do some singing. Heavenly Father, thank you for another good day and another opportunity to live, to enjoy family and fellowship, to worship you, uh, and to be good stewards of all that you've given us. Lord, as we continue to look at scripture today, I pray that uh, you would be here ministering to us, uh, speaking to us, and uh, showing us how to uh, apply it uh, for the rest of the week. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Thanks, gentlemen. Well, at this point in the service, we like to take a, a time of prayer, and uh, we'll have a, a time of silent prayer. I'll let you guys pray, and uh, then after a bit, then I'll, I'll conclude us. Uh, we often um, have some prayer requests from the missionaries that we uh, love and support and learn from. Uh, one big one, uh, Jason and, uh, um, and Nicole Quirin, who are in um, Utah, Locals is the name of the restaurant where he works and where they have their monthly church meeting. Well, that restaurant is up for sale. And so that's kind of created a bit of an uncertainty for them. Um, a couple other things I would uh, bring to your attention. Uh, Laverna Quirin's brother-in-law passed away recently. And so we would ask for prayers for their family. Uh, Teresa Goosen is having eye surgery this week. And so uh, pray for her and um, you know stand on whatever side she can see out of. Uh, so she'll know who's to talk to. Um, and I'd also invite you just pray for something international. Um, I don't, uh, there's a lot of strife that continues in our world. Um, Syria continues to be in civil war. According to the UN, more than 191,000 people have been killed in that civil war. Uh, Ukraine continues in conflict, in conflict with severe uh, civilian casualties, uh, Islamic terrorists are in the news a lot, uh, many countries persecute Christians, um, or just pick a country and pray for the church there. I, Brazil, Germany, Bolivia, I don't, just pick a country and, uh, and pray for the church. But I'd invite you to pray for, pray for something international this morning as well. So let's have a time of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we live in a land of uh, incredible freedom, and for that we give you great thanks. And, uh, but Lord, um, may we not grow ignorant or passive of those brothers and sisters uh, who live elsewhere in the world or serve um, by choosing elsewhere in the world uh, where such freedoms don't exist. And I pray that, I ask that you would impress it upon our hearts this week on how to be praying uh, for the global church or the international church, uh, for brothers and sisters in other places uh, who strive to, to love you and worship you and spread your message. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Save me. 
Thanks, Serge. There's playing cards up here. I, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe someone's leaving me a message or something like that. I don't. I don't know. What, I don't know how to interpret that. Um, one other thing I, I did want to mention with you guys, next week we're going to be having a guest speaker. Uh, Jules Glanzer, who is president of Caber College, is going to be here. He'll be speaking. He's very good. Uh, you should show up. And um, I'll be around, but we bought a house last week. And so I'm taking a week of vacation. We're going to do some light remodeling. And uh, so we'll be here, but uh, consequently I, I won't be preaching next week. Um, in addition to buying a house, uh, yesterday was also Joanne's birthday, and Joanne is expecting again, due in August. So, yeah, we're, we're having good times in the Hydley home. So, Well, today I actually want to wrap up with, with the Feast of the Lord. There are seven feasts. Uh, we've been going through this a feast a weekend. Uh, today we're going to do the final three all in one shot. And uh, it's going to be good. Uh, don't worry about that. Um, but we're just. But it it might take just a few extra minutes to get this wrapped up. So just kind of mentally calibrate for like an extra five, ten minutes. Uh, I got a couple extra pages of notes. So yeah, calibrate your bum cheeks accordingly. Um, so yeah. Uh, but we do have a slideshow to go with it. So hopefully that will uh, keep you entertained. Um, a little bit of review. So we've been doing this, this sermon series on the Feast of the Lord. And the reason that we've been doing this is because the seven feasts depict really the entire redemptive career of Jesus. The seven feasts foretell the seven key things that Jesus either has done or will do from the beginning of humanity until glory forever in heaven, right? And Jesus is our guy. Um, that's who we worship, that is who we adore, that's who we follow, that's who we listen to. If he's happy, we're happy. If he's upset, we're upset. Uh, we follow his lead on all things. Uh, it's his glory, it's his kingdom that we seek to expand, not our own. Uh, and if he is honored, we're thrilled about that. And if he's slandered, we're not okay with that. Uh, Jesus is our guy. And programmed into scriptures... From the very earliest onset, there was a blueprint for all of the major events that Jesus would do. And so we need to know that blueprint, and frankly, we need to know it uh, better than anyone else. Uh, because you can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and then not know anything about the guy. Um, I mean, so we study the feasts so as to study Jesus. What's important to him, what's close to his heart, what his agenda is. As we've been looking at the feasts, we've been looking at uh, three components. Um, each of the feasts have a historical component. Uh, so they were celebrated by the nation of Israel. Most, not all, but most uh, reference a significant event in the history of Israel. Um, all the feasts have a prophetic component where they foretell something Jesus will do, which is what we've just been talking about. And all the feasts have a personal spiritual application component. They, they give us wise counsel on how to live a, a godly Christian life. Uh, for example, one of my favorite ones was the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they clean the house of all, of all yeast or of, of all leaven. Okay, Yeast is often a, a metaphor for sin. 
So, so the wife cleans all the leaven out of the house, but then she leaves a few small morsels throughout the house. Well then, once nightfall comes, the husband or the father takes a candle and a feather and a wooden spoon, and together with the children, they go throughout the house and they look for these ten small pieces of yeast that have been left behind. And when they find one, they take the feather and they brush it into the wooden spoon so as not to touch it. And then once they have found all ten, they take that wooden spoon, they wrap it in a linen cloth, and then it's taken out back and either thrown away or burned. Well, the, the, the symbolism and the analogy in that is just rich, um, with yeast or leaven being, you know, a, a symbolic of sin. Um, the, the light, um, Scripture is referred to as a light. Jesus is referred to as a light. Um, the feather, uh, the, the one part of the Trinity that is sometimes um, uh, portrayed as a bird is, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the wooden spoon, the wooden cross wrapped in linen like bodies, like Christ's body was wrapped in linen, taken out back and destroyed. And so by the light of Christ, by the light of Scripture, we search out the last bits of sin. And with the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, we tie them with Christ and his death, and it's permanently buried with him. So uh, some amazing stuff out of that. Um, there were four feasts that occurred in the springtime. Um, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and the feast of weeks. And these were all prophetically fulfilled the first time Jesus came. We live between the fourth and the fifth feast, symbolically. All right. Um, so if you look at them on the calendar, the first four, this is how they would play out. Um, Passover was to occur on the first Sabbath of the month of uh, Nisan. Um, and then three days later, you have the Oh, and then the next day you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and then the Feast of First Fruits. Um, Israel has two calendars, which must be very confusing. It confuses me. I don't even live there. Uh, but they have a civil calendar and they have a religious calendar. And the reason they have a religious calendar is when God instituted these feasts, he said Passover happens on this month, the month of Nisan. And then in essence he said this is such a big event your yearly calendar now starts with this month. For you, all of time begins with Passover. Prophetically, Passover is the day when Christ died. Feast of unleavened bread, when he was buried in the tomb. Um, that speaks of sin being removed. It is seven days long because seven is the number of perfection or completion. Sin was completely removed. It was perfectly removed. Um, feast of first fruits is when Christ rose from the dead and possibly stood before God as a, as a token of more to come, for the church to come. And 50 days after the feast of first fruits is Pentecost. We call it Pentecost, but that's when the Holy Spirit came. So today we're going to go over the final three feasts. Um, we have the Feast of Trumpets, which corresponds to the rapture. We have the Day of Atonement, which corresponds to Christ's return and the time when Israel will finally put their faith in Christ. And we have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when God sets up his millennial kingdom. Um, and, the millennium, and then after that, we have uh, when God creates a, a new heaven and a new earth. The final three feasts do bring us into the realm of prophecy. Uh, and let me just say that it is good to study prophecy. 
Um, I have not always given prophecy the respect it is due. Um, I suspect that some of you have not always given uh, prophecy the respect that it is due. But it is good to, to study it. Uh, it informs us about Jesus, what's important to him. Um, understanding what he will do in the future helps us better understand the scriptures we read today and how to live our life today, knowing what the end will bring. And also, Jesus strongly scolded people for not being able to read the signs of the times, uh, for not be understanding what parts of prophecy they were witnessing firsthand. So he scolds them for not knowing prophecy. Head cold. Um, so as we study prophecy today, there's two major themes that I want you to take away from this. The first is this repeated idea that God desperately wants relationship with you. Um, but you have to accept his offer, right? The second is that you have no idea how much time is left. Uh, so get your affairs in order, relationally, with God, with other people. Somewhere, kind of theoretically, you know, a clock is ticking with your name on it. And you have no idea when that buzzer is going to go. So, God wants relationship with you, and you should live like you're running out of time. So, uh, let's look at some scriptures. Just to give a backdrop of this and to prove to you that I'm not making this stuff up. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses uh, 16 to, uh, to 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with him and with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. John 14 verses 1 to 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Second Thessalonians. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. Uh, crowns, probably crowns. Um, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, probably us, uh, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury on the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes back, it will be as king, and he's kind of in a grumpy mood, all right? Pretty upset. So, prophecy today. We kind of have to do just kind of a, a basic foundation of prophecy because these, these feasts are built on it. So, a uh, very simple foundation. Roughly, okay, there are three phases ahead of us, uh, plus the one that, that we're in now. You could use smaller units. Uh, this is a very basic outline. Um, but we're in the church age, okay? The church began with the Holy Spirit descended. So we're about, you know, 2,000 years into this one. We have no idea how much longer. Um, but as we look at world events and prophecy, you know, it's kind of, well, we're getting closer, but I'm not sure we're there yet, but we're getting closer. We don't know how long this one's going to last. At some point, we will transition into the tribulation. Uh, this is going to be seven years long, kind of has a distinct first half, kind of a notable midpoint where the Antichrist does some bad things, uh, and then there's a notable second half. Tribulation, very bad. You really don't want to be around for that one. Um, then Christ will come back. He will set up a millennium kingdom. It will last a thousand years. Satan is bound and thrown into a pit. It's, it's, this is a good time. Um, after the thousand years, Satan is released, kind of for one last hurrah. Uh, then we get the new heaven, new earth, the final judgment, eternity with God, and even a better time, okay? So it kind of goes from good to worse to great to awesome. That's, that's Luke's cliff notes on prophecy and time. At some point, there will be a rapture uh, where we go up to meet Christ. Uh, and there is some debate on when that happens. Um, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is that if you go with the more literal interpretation of Scripture, you get a pre-tribulation rapture uh, where Christians or the church are not on earth for tribulation. Uh, during the tribulation, people still get saved, but, um, but, you know, but we won't be here. Or pre yeah, Christians. Um, and it looks like uh, persecution is really focused in on the nation of Israel. Um, some people believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. Um, you know, there's kind of that distinct midpoint, so they would say that at that midpoint is when up we go. Um, and some people would believe in a post-tribulation rapture, where us going up and him coming down kind of happen on the same day. We go up, good to see you, and then we all come down together. Uh, sometimes when you hear people joking about, like, theology or not knowing a lot about theology or not really caring about theology, you know, they'll kind of sarcastically ask, well, are you pre-trib or post-trib? Yeah, ha, 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 ha. Um, but aside from being a really lame joke, uh, this is what they're referencing, okay? So now you, now you know what that joke's all about and really how not funny it is um, or not clever, uh, at the end of all this, there's a final judgment, um, you know, for whether it's heaven or hell. Uh, however, sometime prior to that, uh, whenever the church is raptured, uh, there's another judgment called the Bema, uh, where judgment re where God rewards his followers for what they did on earth. Those of you in Discipleship 101 class, we watched a video on this. It was very good. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good and evil. 
That's not a heaven or hell judgment. That's, that's an award ceremony. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work, has any, if the work that anyone um, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Currently, uh, I believe and hope for a pre-tribulation rapture. I may be wrong. Someday I may change my mind. That's just kind of where I'm at now. Take it or leave it. Pick your own favorite. Um, uh, for me, it fits well with the final three feasts. And my understanding is that uh, this is kind of the conclusion from the, the most the literal interpretation of Scripture. So that's where I'm at today. Check back next week. Now, okay, so we have this foundation. See, I told you we're moving fast. Uh, so with this foundation of basic prophetic events, now we're going to look at the final three feasts, and we're going to move through these kind of quick. So first, or first that we're going to cover today, I guess it would be feast number five, you have the Feast of Trumpets. Now the Feast of Trumpets is the first fall feast. Uh, in Jewish culture, it's called Rosh Hashanah. And the entire feast revolves around the blowing of a trumpet. That's it. Have a holiday Enjoy one another, blow some trumpets, we're good. I mean, that's, that's the entire feast. Um, incidentally, lots of fascinating stuff on trumpets in Scripture, and also trees. There's like four different kind of trees, all very symbolic, whatever. So if you want to do a Bible study on trumpets, lots of stuff there. Uh, feast of Trumpets, this is how it reads in Leviticus. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed. With blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. That's it. A holiday marked by a trumpet blast. Um, and yet this day has become so important to Jewish people today that this, along with Yom Kippur, are called the High Holy Days. Uh, historically, we only know of one event that actually occurred, uh, or maybe two, of uh, the Feast of Trumpets that we know of. Uh, in the book of Ezra, it was during the Feast of Trumpets when the temple was rebuilt. Sacrifices were uh, reinstituted when they were coming back from the Babylonian exile. And Nehemiah records that during this time there was a great revival. Um, prophetically, I mean, if you haven't figured it out by now, prophetically refers to the rapture, because there was some trumpet stuff going on with the rapture. Um, this is, in, in Israel, this is considered Israel's dark day. Uh, it occurs on the new moon. So when, when, the, when the moon is completely blocked by the earth and there's no light reflecting from it, uh, that is when, the, when this one occurs. It's dark, the opposite of full moon. And it's believed that the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, marks the beginning of the day of the Lord, or a time when the Lord pours out his wrath, not only upon Israel's enemies, but also upon Israel herself, to bring her repentance into the new covenant. Um, the tribulation, which follows, 
Uh, in the Old Testament, tribulation is also referenced as time of Jacob's trouble, 70th week of Daniel, day of Israel's calamity, tribulation, indignation, day of vengeance, year of recompense, uh, the day of wrath, the day of distress, the day of desolation, the day of darkness, the day of trumpets, several others. In the New Testament, it's called day of the Lord, wrath of God, hour of trial, wrath to come, great tribulation, hour of judgment. With a pre-tribulation rapture theory, the rapture marks a great time for the church. We enter into heaven. We have this amazing award ceremony. Lots of fun. Almost kind of like a honeymoon period. We spend seven, to eight, seven years just hanging out with Jesus. But on earth, it marks the beginning of the worst persecution, sickness, and destruction the world has ever known. Um, this will be a horrible, horrible time forever is still around. Far worse than anything that has ever happened yet on earth. All the previous wars, genocides, plagues that have already happened will be less awful than this time. On the book of, of Revelation, we read about bowls of judgments and, and horsemen and trumpets. Um, a lot of that is happening during this time. And again, during this time, people still have the option to choose Christ or to choose the Antichrist. So, at the end of the tribulation is Armageddon, and then Jesus returns. Jesus returning brings us to Feast 6, which is Day of Atonement, or uh, also called Yom Kippur. Um, atonement means a covering, right? So, like, your sins are covered, your, your sins are erased, they're, they're done away with. Day of Atonement, sins are done away with. So, that's Feast number 6. This is how it reads in Leviticus, um, chapter 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now in the tenth day of the seven months is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy, holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. You shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people, Whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. So the word afflict appears several times in this passage. The understanding of, of, of afflict um, is that this, uh, to afflict is really to fast. That's kind of the literal interpretation but really, it, it also means to repent from sins. To afflict yourself is to fast and repent from sins. So this is a grieving, kind of a grieving process. The Leviticus passage offers harsh consequences for those who don't afflict themselves. But it's not just, will you afflict yourself? What he's saying is, will you repent of your sins? And he's calling to them repentance, and he's saying, for those of you who don't repent... We cannot be in relationship, and you cannot be part of my people. So that, that's what God is saying here. Um, also, historically, this was the only day of the year that the priest could enter the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple, right? There's uh, like several courts and rooms, and, and the innermost room was called the Holy of Holies, and the priest only went in there one day of the year, and, uh, and that was on this day. And 
I think they even tied a rope around his ankle just in case he died in there. They could drag out his body so that they wouldn't have to leave him in there till next year. So, um, yeah, glad we don't have to do that. Uh, during the tribulation, uh, incredible persecution, especially for the Jewish people uh, who are still here after the rapture. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back, and it's believed that at that time, much of Israel will finally and fully believe in Jesus. Uh, most of them do not consider him a savior now, but then when he appears, they, they will believe. Uh, so the Day of Atonement is marked by large numbers of people, namely Jewish people, repenting of their sin. Uh, Isaiah 66, 8 suggests that the spiritual birth of an entire nation would occur on a single day. Uh, and in Romans eleven twenty six tells us that mass salvation for the people of Israel was actually put on hold until the full number of Gentiles, i.e. you and me, uh, has happened. Uh, Romans 11, 25, 26. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The gospel came to them first. They refused it. So metaphorically, they got put at the end of the line. The thing that marks Day of Atonement is Jesus' return and Israel's repentance. Feast 7. Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. When Jesus comes again, uh, Jewish people, witnesses return, many believe in him. Um, but also at that time, Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom. Satan is bound and thrown in a pit for a thousand years. Uh, the world will experience a time of peace and rest. Uh, and to symbolize that, we have our seventh final feast, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, even today, in Jewish custom, the Feast of Tabernacles is the most joyous and festive of all of Israel's feasts. Uh, this is Party Week. Um, and it's also a prominent feast, the most prominent feast in all of Scripture. This one gets mentioned more than any other feast in all of Scripture. Here's how it reads in Leviticus, again, uh, chapter 23. Leviticus 23 is the one place where you find all the feasts kind of summarized. Uh, verse 39, on the 15th day of the seven months, when you have gathered in all the produce from the land, you shall celebrate the feast to the Lord for seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. Uh, you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, Willow of the brook, you shall rejoice before the Lord seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations uh, celebrated in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So historically, the Feast of Tabernacles remembers the time when Israel was fleeing from Egypt. They were in the desert, and they had to build temporary shelters. Uh, the root word for tabernacles is like booth or hut. So they remember the time having to build these huts in the desert. Um, and it's actually a practice that carries on to this day. Uh, as soon as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is passed, Booths are constructed, like in yards and on patios and backyards and that kind of thing. Usually you just got three walls with like a thatched roof, 
Uh, they eat meals in there. Sometimes they'll sleep in there, kind of a camping out kind of thing. Uh, and it's celebratory, lots of fun. Prophetically, this is when God sets up his millennial kingdom. Time of peace, joy, prosperity. Uh, this is lie and lay down with the lamb. Uh, the desert blossom, become fruitful and productive. Satan's tied up in a pit somewhere for a thousand years. A uh, very good time. When you look at the feasts on the calendar, this is how they play out um, on the, the month of Tishri. Um, so on the first, whenever the first happens, on the first, you have the Feast of Trumpets. On the 10th, you have the Day of Atonement. On the 15th, starts the Feast of Tabernacles, and that lasts for a full week. At the beginning, I said there were two application points that I wanted you to think about as we go through this. Uh, the first being relationship with God. As we look at the final three feasts, there's a strong sense of entering into relationship with Christ. Uh, with the Day of Atonement, there's an emphasis on repentance, turning from the old, turning to Christ, accepting Christ as Savior. Uh, both the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles speak to us about dwelling with God, relationship God, um, accepting his offer of salvation, community with him. We are the ones who broke off relationship with God. We did it in the garden. We've been doing it every day since, and we're really good at it. Um, and every day since, though, God has been working at trying to bring us back to himself. But our stubborn pride, our foolish thinking, just keeps getting in the way for a lot of people. God wants relationship with you. Uh, now you have the opportunity to accept that offer, but a time is coming when that opportunity is no longer there. The second application point, which is Jesus is coming, and the clock is ticking. Uh, a moment in time will happen when our freedom to choose is over. Maybe it's your physical death. Maybe Jesus comes back. Don't really know. But a moment will happen when our opportunity to choose is done. I was once told that, uh, you know, whatever you have to do, you'll take the amount of time you have to do it. So if you have two weeks to file your taxes, it takes you two weeks to file your taxes. Uh, if you have two days to file your taxes, you file your taxes in two days. Uh, when you have lots of time, you spread things out. Uh, but when there's a time crunch, all of your priorities shift and you put your best energy into that task at hand. So if I were to tell you that you only had a few days before death, could you say, I'm ready. My affairs are in order. Uh, people important to me know that they're loved. Uh, as far as possible, I'm at peace with all men. The tasks given to me by God I have pursued with vigor and with excellence. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Time for the next phase of life. The, the good phase. True life. Or, if you knew only a few days, would it be panic attack and regrets? Sorrow about friends not witnessed to. Estranged family members. People you need to make amends with. Wills not written up. Jesus desperately wants relationship with you, but you have no idea how much time you have. Somewhere, an invisible clock with your name on it is ticking down, and you don't know when it's going to buzz. 
So first, you need to get your spiritual life in order. First and foremost, you need to make sure that you and God are in right relationship. Secondly, you need to get your earthly relationships in order. Um, if you need to apologize, apologize. If you need to confess, confess. Uh, if you need to forgive, to forgive. If you need to express to someone some love and affection and appreciation, stop being lazy and get it done. And lastly, the church is here on mission to get the word out about all of this. And you're part of that team. Uh, we need everyone on the field. No one gets to sit on the bench for this one. Collectively, we have a lot of work to do. Seven feasts of the Lord, and we're even done early. I did not see that coming. Amen. You made it through all seven feasts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, from the beginning of time, you gave the blueprint for what you were going to do. Um, as time has progressed, we've understood it better, but it has been there in your word from the very beginning. And Lord, it is a joy and a delight to study your word, to see uh, what your blueprint is, what your plans are. Lord, may we live this life with vigor and um, we have such little time here on earth. Compared to eternity, this is nothing but a brief introduction. And uh, may we use it wisely. Um, may we be in right relationship with you. And for those who aren't, may they get that squared away. May we be in right relationship with others. Um, press upon us where that needs to happen, Lord. And the tasks that you have given us while we are here on this earth, may we go after them with energy and persistence and faithfulness and vigor. Lord, we want to be found faithful for all that you entrusted into our care. We love you, Lord. Amen. Sings my soul, my Savior.